You're listening to a Glasgow Women's Library podcast. This is part of our 21 Revolutions programme, celebrating two decades of changing minds at Glasgow Women's Library. For more information on the library, our 21 Revolutions programme, or any of our other work, visit our website at womenslibrary.org.uk. My name is Karen Campbell. I am an, I'm a writer who has lived in Glasgow all my life, but I've recently moved down to Galloway. Um, so I was really delighted to be asked to get involved with the, the Glasgow Women's Library. Um, I think it's a really important facility and it's somewhere that I've had a, a long connection with and, and um, the chance to write about the archives as well was fantastic. When I was asked to uh, write a story for the 21 Revolutions, um, I always say yes to things and I worry about them afterwards. Um, and sometimes when you're you're commissioned to write a story, it can be difficult because you don't you don't have that spark that that began the creative process. You have to go and mine for it. Other times that can be actually quite good because it makes you think in a tangent you may not have otherwise done. But actually, with this story, it it just seemed to all fit together perfectly. I think. I mean, I wrote it really quickly. I immediately knew the sort of era I wanted to write about and I find sometimes when you are writing if you're in the zone even newspaper headlines and television programmes all seem to somehow fit into what it is you're writing about and that felt a bit like that with this the story the process was was smooth and the 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 different layers that I wanted to weave in um, just seemed to sort of come out of the, the air and weave themselves together so I really enjoyed it and I guess I wouldn't have written this story had I, I not been asked to to think about um, about women's history in, in Glasgow I mean I don't write historical fiction at all um, but it's it's actually made me think perhaps that might be something I'd want to revisit in a novel now The Colour of Queens by Karen Campbell Her mother minded her father was affronted what do you mean, just out? You're just in, for God's sake. Is it not enough you're swanning off up to the art school without gallivanting off at night as well? You're a... You're, you're my daughter. It's just not right. Teresa, tell her. Folded arms and that bland, blank face. You have to see where you're going, lass. We, we can't just let you. I told you it's a sale of work for the art school. For months, Clara had begged her father to let her attend the Glasgow School of Art. It stood virtually at the top of their street, clean and wonderful and almost new, flooded and chattering with men in waistcoats who carried canvas and folios. And girls too, a clutch of magnificent girls who wore bold silk scarfs, who shimmered with industry as they slid beneath the metal arch, floated up the narrowing stairs. Clara's schooling was long over. Her suitors had not yet emerged. Her fingers itched for purpose. Her father was a quiet man, working hard and well as an administrative manager at Templeton's carpet factory, which was a pain to art in its own way, of course it was, but it was still a noisy hot shed inside, and he liked to come home to the peace of their comfortable tenement flat and feel he'd done his duty. Or so her mother said, but what would she know about the world, stuck in her kitchen all day? Although they could afford a maid, but her mother would not hear of it, would not hear of it. Still... It was her mother that turned him, eventually. But she draws such pretty pictures. And think, James, on how useful it might be. Drawing, design. Think of the skills of the lassies in your pattern room. 
Father didn't want her working in the pattern room. Clara heard them talking in the parlour, her mother's voice low, her father growing shriller. Heard words like expense and marriage, and then a sad single, when? Tis nothing sorer in the world than to hear inner hurts aloud. As well as drawing, Clara wrote mostly inferior poetry. Kept a tiny notebook on a bracelet for that very purpose. She'd stopped her sketching the moment he'd said no, but the notebook was almost full. Then one day, after several parlour and kitchen conversations to which she was not privy, her father arrived home with a prospectus and a leather art case and thrust it across the table. The decision had been made. But he didn't come with her to enrol. No, it was Clara's mother, strangely, that did that, ceremonially removing her pinafore and headscarf, replacing it with a knitted tammy. Clara thought Mother might blink as she emerged into the daylight, but she carried herself surprisingly well. Clara, your father's talking to you. I said, where exactly is the seal, and what is it that you're selling? Artworks, she shrugged. Pictures, some poems. Other girls are showing pottery. And a case of careful jewellery, which is hidden in my room. Well, that sounds fine, eh, James? Mum will come too for a looky. no. No, you can't come. It's in a ladies' club. A ladies' club? I thought it was for the art school. It it was. It, it is. Lucy's going too, but it's in, in private rooms in Bath Street. Which was true, so it was only a half lie. And Bath Street was further over the hill. Those first weeks at the art school were... Oh, they were like the time when Clara had woken from a recurring dream of it being her birthday... And then that one day, it was. She dreamed the truth and it really had been her birthday. All day, it had been hers. The studio was bright and cold. High windows, clear against the blackwood walls. And the young men forever leaving the door wide as they passed through for spare brushes. White spirit and furtive and not so furtive glances. You tried to keep your eyes on the paper, but it would flutter in the draught and you'd look up, skim glances with a pair of eyes or a flash of white shirt or worse. A bare arm with a sleeve rolled back. (laughs) You'd think they'd never seen a woman before, the girl next to her her had whispered. Tall she was, with a fitted pink shirt and brown hair that billowed and was caught above her ears, in a way that seemed too simple to stay up. Don't they have turpentine in their studio? Oh, Clara felt the press of air in her cheek. Is that the butterfly you're doing? How lovely. The wing, it's flawless. Flawless. A perfect description of Lucy. The Honourable Lucinda Lawson, she laughed, of Lawson and Spur shipbuilders. What's your name? And Clara had instantly said, Claire. They began to lunch together. They would walk the length of Socky Hall Street, Lucinda linking arms, Clara watching their reflections in the window glitter of the shops, and being asked, being asked, mind, what she thought of that hat, and did she like the writings of Myrtle Reed, and wasn't Mr Asquith funny? Lucy was long and polished. Her skirts swung like they were dancing one inch above the ground. Clara bobbed clumsily alongside in her grey, mother-made coat. Lucy had even prized that from her. Truly, how clever your mother is. To make something useful with her hands. I mean, it's all art, you know. Even the men at Daddy's yards, that's art. Oh, you should see them clear all the flares and fires, how the metal blazes white and the noise... Why don't we do craft too? I know, silversmithing. Oh, what fun. Clara wasn't sure if she could afford silversmithing. In drawing and painting, the art school provided paint, but you brought your paper. 
was the silver to be paid for too? Lucy, being flawless, took her hand. But you must let me pay, please, for dragging you away from your lovely paintings. Clara was glad to leave the painting alone. She'd drawn and coloured every permutation of the butterfly wings she could, eventually fashioning it into a repeating motif. Her tutor said it would work beautifully in a rug, but no matter how close she scrutinised, how fine her extraction, her execution of the greens and livid turquoise, Clara could always see the dry brown corpse attached to the wing and the silver of the pin holding it. The Colour of Queens by Karen Campbell Her mother minded. Her father was affronted. What do you mean just out? You're just in for God's sake. Is it not enough you're swanning on up to the on art school without gallivanting off at night as well? You're a... You're my daughter. It's just not right. Teresa, tell her. Folded arms and that bland, blank face. You have to see where you're going, lass. We, we can't just let you... I told you it's a sale of work for the art school. For months, Clara had begged her father to let her attend the Glasgow School of Art. It stood virtually at the top of their street, clean and wonderful and almost new, flooded and chattering with men in waistcoats who carried canvas and folios. And girls too, a clutch of magnificent girls who wore bold silk scarves, who shimmered with industry as they slid beneath the metal arch floated up the narrowing stairs. Clara's schooling was long over. Her suitors had not yet emerged. Her fingers itched for purpose. Her father was a quiet man, working hard and well, as an administrative manager at Templeton's carpet factory, which was a pain to art in its own way, of course it was, but it was still a noisy hot shed inside, and he liked to come home to the peace of their comfortable tenement flat and feel he'd done his duty. Or so her mother said. But what would she know about the world, stuck in her kitchen all day? Although they could afford a maid, but her mother would not hear of it, would not hear of it. Still, it was her mother that turned him, eventually. But she draws such pretty pictures, and think, James, on how useful it might be. Drawing, design, think of the skills of the lassies in your pattern room. Father didn't want her working in the pattern room. Clara heard them talking in the parlour, her mother's voice low, her father growing shriller. Heard words like expense and marriage, and then a sad single when. Tis nothing sorer in the world than to hear inner hearts aloud. Tis nothing sorer in the world than to hear inner hearts aloud. As well as drawing, Clara wrote mostly inferior poetry, kept a tiny notebook on a bracelet for that very purpose. She'd stopped her sketching the moment he'd said no, but the notebook was almost full. Then one day, after several parlour and kitchen conversations to which she was not privy, her father arrived home with a prospectus and a leather art case and thrust it across the table. The decision had been made. But he didn't come with her to enrol. No, it was Clara's mother, strangely, that did that, ceremonially removing her pinafore and headscarf, replacing it with a knitted tammy. Clara thought Mother might blink as she emerged into the daylight, but she carried herself surprisingly well. Clara, your father's talking to you. I said, where exactly is the sale, and what is it that you're selling? Artworks, she shrugged. Pictures, some poems. Other girls are showing pottery. And a case of careful jewellery, which is hidden in my room. 
Well, that sounds fine, eh, James? Mum will come too for a lookie. No, no, you can't come. It's in a ladies' club. A ladies' club? I thought it was for the art school. It, it was. It, it is. Lucy's going too, but it's in, in private rooms in Bath Street. Which was true, so it was only a half lie. And Bath Street was further over the hill. Those first weeks at the art school were... Oh, they were like the time when Clara had woken from a recurring dream of it being her birthday. And then that one day, it was. She dreamed the truth and it really had been her birthday. All day, it had been hers. The studio was bright and cold. High windows clear against the blackwood walls. And the young men forever leaving the door wide as they passed through for spare brushes. White spirit and furtive and not so furtive glances. You tried to keep your eyes on the paper but it would flutter in the draught and you'd look up, skim glances with a pair of eyes or a flash of white shirt, or worse, a bare arm with a sleeve rolled back. <laughs> you'd think they'd never seen a woman before, the girl next to her, her had whispered. Tall she was, with a fitted pink shirt and brown hair that billowed and was caught above her ears, in a way that seemed too simple to stay up. Don't they have turpentine in their studio? Oh, Clara felt the press of air in her cheek. Is that the butterfly you're doing? How lovely. The wing, it's flawless. Flawless. A perfect description of Lucy. The Honourable Lucinda Lawson, she laughed, of Lawson and Spur shipbuilders. What's your name? And Clara had instantly said, Claire? They began to lunch together. They would walk the length of Socky Hall Street, Lucinda linking arms, Clara watching their reflections in the window glitter of the shops and being asked, being asked, mind, what she thought of that hat, and did she like the writings of Myrtle Reed, and wasn't Mr Asquith funny? Lucy was long and polished. Her skirts swung like they were dancing one inch above the ground. Clara bobbed clumsily alongside in her grey, mother-made coat. Lucy had even prized that from her. Truly, how clever your mother is, to make something useful with her hands. I mean, it's all art, you know. Even the men at Daddy's Yards, that's art. Oh, you should see them clear, all the flares and fires, how the metal blazes white and the noise. Why don't we do craft too? I know, silversmithing. Oh, what fun. Clara wasn't sure if she could afford silversmithing. In drawing and painting, the art school provided paint, but you brought your paper. Was the silver to be paid for too? Lucy, being flawless, took her hand. But you must let me pay, please, for dragging you away from your lovely paintings. Clara was glad to leave the painting alone. She'd drawn and coloured every permutation of the butterfly wings she could, eventually fashioning it into a repeating motive. Her tutor said it would work beautifully in a rug. But no matter how close she scrutinised, how fine her extraction, her execution of the greens and livid turquoise, Clara could always see the dry brown corpse attached to the wing and the silver of the pin holding it. Perhaps you could make a butterfly brooch, Lucy went on, but stylized, all stretchly like, like, like those spook schools. Perhaps you could make a butterfly brooch, Lucy went on, but stylized, all stretchy, you know, like the spook school. Perhaps. Clara loved the silversmithing. Her parents needn't know, just as they didn't know that lunchtime strolls, with a friend they much approved of and did she have a brother, had now become lunchtime meetings. From silver, Lucinda had progressed to beaten brass. Miss Grey, the metal mistress, thought Lucinda very promising. Beautiful, regular indentations. Look how neatly you hit. It's your strength, dear. Quite formidable. Miss Grey was a suffragist. It sounded a sad, painful word, 
But Lucy said no, that they were warrior queens, all of them. Imagine, Claire, imagine being a warrior. But well, why would I need a vote? Well, think how it feels to be here with the men. Then multiply that feeling, oh, I don't know, a million times. Wouldn't you feel proud? Don't you feel angry when your brothers get taken to Daddy's boardroom and you've got to look through the fence to see all that light and heat? I, I don't have a brother. Isn't our world so small? Oh, Lucy tugged at her sash. Small and mean until you simply can't breathe. I suppose. Well, come with me then. Come to the next meeting. See what you think. Clara, here. Is this the sort of paintings you'll be showing? Her father was flapping a piece of paper at her. It was a long discarded sketch. She'd thrown it in the parlour fire. She had, she had. It was a design for a silken banner with the letters WSPU. The Women's Social and Political Union. Clara had thought the meetings very fine. And the way the sea is fine. All those layers of tumbling colours which can be still, majestic, then turn marvellously wild. The sense of it had seeped round her too. How at first the cold wash just stunned you numb. Her father was a great exponent of sea bathing. But then you tingle back alive. You can feel each piece of you sparkle. Well, her brain was sparkling. At the meetings, a number of clever women would stand arms wide and extol the virtue of struggle, of militancy even. They were mostly artistic or rich. She couldn't follow everything. The, what was it, the socialist argument for the franchise of poor men before that of all women. That one, for example, confused her. One of the best speakers... Another artist called Helen was organising the event tonight. It was the opening of their headquarters, the proper commencement of battle. Dr Gilchrist would come and address them. There was even talk they might learn Morse code. Clara had made several pieces of jewellery, most of it enamel work, but there were a couple of silver chains and this brooch, her favourite, in silver gilt, which she'd pinned on rather than sell. Absently, even as her father was railing at her, she fingered the delicate filigree, how the swirl of leaves became a claw that was a flower that held a jewel. Three different gems, peridot, amethyst, pearl. It was a perfect secret, Lucy had said. Subtle. Subtle. Clara liked the hiss of this word, its rolling, whispering kiss. Clara, are you listening to me? Her father made a gap in her reverie, forced himself in. You are having nothing to do with all of this nonsense. Votes for women indeed. Good God. These are the very women that caused a riot. A riot, mind, up in Aberdeen. Aberdeen, agreed her mother. We've not worked hard all our lives, so you can make an embarrassment of yourself. Don't you want the advantages we've toiled for? When I met your mother, she was in service and working as a seamstress. Scrubbing in the day, sewing all night. Tessie, two jobs, that was me. The pert way she held her chin. You'd think she was proud. Aye, what your mother would have given for the chance to learn to paint, drawing, pattern making, you don't know your born girl. But I will not have you flaunting yourself with these women. Shrews and slatterns, a lot of them. James, Don Lucy sounds like a lovely girl, a real lady. Aye, well, to be fair, her father's a gentleman, so I suppose she might be a misguided one at that. Generally, I have time in their hands for games, but it won't be them getting huckled into police carts at the end of the night. He was shouting now, It'll be daft girls like you, Clara. And then where will you be? My name is Claire, she shouted louder. Her father's hand was up, up high and quivering, and his eyes were quivering, and his lips were quivering purple. They held it, both, held the breath between them for an instant, 
until she heard her mother make a sound that wasn't, no, wasn't anything, just a sound, and go hurrying into the scullery. Sloshing water, battering on the copper. He was still grasping at the air, like he was trying to catch it or squeeze it small. She wanted to look away from the terrible thing she'd made of him. Could not. And then he lowered his arm. Aye, and, and my name is Skelt, your arse lady. Now away and help your mother with the washing. She wouldn't weep. In the scullery, her mother flitted through clouds of steam, loading the copper, smoothing the pile of half-dried sheets. She tapped her mangle. It's a fine thing, this, that your father bought me. Get through it all in half the time. Still washing. Aye, but it's my washing, my mangle. There's a freedom in that too, lass. Her mother laid the tongs on the cooking range, slowly towards her, then her head pecking awkwardly as she kissed her once, warm raw fingers smoothing her eyes. Your daddy loves you, Ken. He only wants to keep you safe. Clara thought her heart would not. The pin of the brooch was stabbing her. It was growing hair thin and it was sliding through her breast, her spine, skewering the pretty colours flat, safe. With a rough pat, her mother released her. I'm near done here, just the final rinse. Father says I have to help. Did you know? Well, um, I am almost out of crystals for the blue bag. I'm needing someone to run over to that wee shop near Watts. Mind the Russian manny's one. The one in Bath Street? Oh, is it now? Well, there'll be none other open at this time of the day. They keep funny hours, Thornruskies. She straightened the collar in Claire's grey coat, touched the centre of the brooch. That's my favourite colour, so it is. Did you know that? Purple. The colour of queens. We've to call it violet. I mean, we, we do call it that. It's just its proper name at the art school. Her mother smiled. Purple for dignity. Moved her finger to the peridot. Green for spring. Well, that's hope, isn't it? She was going to unpin it. Clara was terrified. Her father would throw it in the fire, throw all the jewellery in the fire. Their stall would be empty. Her mother traced the pearl. And purity for the white. You're my pearl, lass. You know that, don't you? How did her mother know this? How did she know this? I was never really a seamstress, Clara. We were just all skivvies, rows of us in candlelight, jagging our fingers till we couldn't see for tiredness. One day someone told us about this fine American lady who was coming to speak at St Andrew's Halls. Lady Candy or something, I can't mind. Oh, but she was a fine speaker. All talk of freedoms and rights. They were letting women ratepayers vote for the council see. We were getting all that excited. It would soon be us, all of us. Then an Irish woman spoke, then a Scot, and they were getting right riled about the English and someone shooted out about the king. Was there a riot? Oh, oh, no, lass, no, no. But I worked for an English family, and one of the lady's friends was there too. Even smelled at me, she did. But she must have told them. Any road. So I lost my job, but... She blushed suddenly, a pretty, shy girl blush, not the scarlet of wash day at all. But then I married your father. He didn't need to look at me, Ken. He started as a delivery boy. But you could tell. You could just tell the man he'd be, working nights to pay for his office exams. And he has the kindest heart, I know. Clara stared down at her brooch. Again, her mother kissed her. Now, away you up the road and get me those crystals, eh? Take your time, though. There's no rush. I just be careful for me, eh? Clara walked to the hall, lifted the case of jewellery from the doorway of her room, 
From behind the parlour door, she heard a cough. Her mother nodded. On you go. She was nearly at the close mouth when her mother called after her. I mind when you were born, Clara. It was me. And he made me a chain of daisies for my hair. I mind that, Clara. And in all the marches to come, in the pamphlets and the protests, in the speeches, in the smashing the jails and the blood, in all the other brooches crafted of silver chain mail and prison gates, in her father's disdain and his angry, almost pride, in the washings and scrubbings and small quiet life, her mother minded it all. What inspired me to write this story was initially when we were told um, about the, the whole project, I instantly thought of the suffragettes, which I reckon probably a lot of the writers have done, but it just seemed to be the, the, the pivotal point in women's history. I'd been in one of the women's library history walks uh, around Glasgow, which I thought was fascinating, and I just felt there was so much untold history um, about women. Um, and then I was looking for maybe a banner or something to do with the, the Women's Social and Political Union. Um, but I actually came across a gorgeous piece of jewellery that I, if I'd been allowed, would have actually stolen because it's lovely. Um, it's just my colours. Purple's my favourite colour. It was amethyst. And obviously, the more I, I delved into it, the more I remembered history and getting told about the colours of the, the suffragette movement, the purple and the green and the white. So I thought that the, the brooch would be a, a great motif to sort of weave in um, the story of suffragettes but also the art school was being built round about the time um, that this all began and women were starting to be allowed in um, the spook school which was part of uh, you know Charlene McIntosh and, and his uh, friends his wife and, and sister etc um, I just felt there was so much ripe at that time that I could try and weave into this story um, so the brooch was, was great at opening memories for me but also just leading me into researching a bit more um, about things like when the art school admitted women and and I think also how that brought different social classes of women together as well. It's definitely felt like um, as if the libraries maybe like the, the, the beacon and they've sent out all of these you know rays to people and then it's all coming back in to, to warm the library and everybody's there talking about what they've done um, and I don't know whose idea it was to initially um, do this project but I think it's been a, a brilliant way of taking the library out to people that may actually not have usually used it or even heard of it um, but also as, as a celebration and a sort of acknowledgement of all the different types of, of creativity there is um, you know for, from women in, in Scotland. Thank you for downloading this free 21 Revolutions Glasgow Women's Library podcast. To find out more about 21 Revolutions visit our website at womenslibrary.org.uk There you can find out about the 21 women writers and the 21 women artists who have produced limited edition artworks available to buy from the library while stocks last. You can also find out more about what we do, why we are special and how you can support us. It's all online at womenslibrary.org.uk